Well, church, if you would, I'd love uh, for you to stand with me as we read from the book of Ephesians. I'm reading uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Now, I'm doing something here that I don't know if it's, if it's allowed or not, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. I'm actually breaking up the passage into two different Bible translations. Um, so the first uh, couple of verses are from the NRSV, and the last Oh, the bigger section is from the New Living Translation. Um, again, I don't know if that's breaking some kind of pastor rule or not, um, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. It's up on the screen, and, and it says this. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and abandoned themselves to the licentiousness. This is really, I wanted that translation is just to be able to say that word. Um, <laughs> greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is really it right here. Why I wanted to bring up for this is this sentence. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and you were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are, are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you were a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let's pray. I came across this prayer written by somebody else, but I want to read it over us this morning. Oh Lord, you who know your sheep by name, be my friend's shepherd this day. Where they are burdened by the cares of life, give them rest. Where they are helpless against the enemies of their soul, be their defender. Where they are hungry, feed them. Where they are weary, restore them. Where they are vulnerable, protect them. Guard my friends. Keep them, shield them, 
so that they might feel your loving care this day. In the name of the one who lays down his life for his sheep night and day. Amen. Please feel free to have a seat. When our 11-year-old Justice was one and a half years old, often what would happen is um, he would need to be changed. And, and I would bring him into his room, and, and I would set him on the changing table, and I would change him and get him ready for the rest of the day. But after I changed him, the, the habit that we had is that I would pick him up, and I would stand him up, and when I did that, he would stand about chest high with me. So naturally, I taught him how to give a chest bump. <laughs> and so he would get changed, he'd stand him up, and we'd chest bump each other, and then we'd go on with the day, which was all good and well, until one day, Larissa brought him to the local playground. And as he's playing with all the other kids that are at the playground, there is a younger baby that's there at the playground who you could tell just had just learned to begin to walk. And there is this waddling baby And Justice, knowing that a chest bump is a sign of affection in a relationship, wanting to make a new friend, goes up to this barely able uh, walking baby, and he gives this baby a big old chest bump. And Larissa says that that baby's feet got lifted off the ground. This baby was launched into the air. And there's Larissa having to hunt down that child's parent and explain to them, I am so sorry. His dad taught him (laughs) to chest bump. There was then a life lesson that was taught to him. Larissa pulled our our one-and-a-half-year-old off to the side and said, Justice, we do not chest bump babies. That is not who we are. One of the life lessons uh, given to us or we've learned from one of our mentors is, listen, as parents, one of the things that you want to be able to do is, is to teach group, our group identity. As a family, this is who we are. This is how we act. And so when, when our boys are learning things or getting into things that we know that they shouldn't be, we try as best we can to frame it in a, in a family value. This is who we are. And so you can likely, hopefully, ask our boys, because it's been a while since we've used this one before, but we will tell them as, as they've used their hands to hit one another, Larissa will often respond to them and say, hey, what are our hands for? And they'll respond, our hands are for love and kindness. That's who we are. See, what we're hoping to instill in them is just this value. Other people may chest bump babies. That may be how other people act, but not Madronos. Madronos don't chest bump babies and launch them into the air. This is who we are. 
Paul writes to a community of believers, and and as he does so, what you'll notice he's doing here in this passage is, is this. He's teaching group identity. This is who we are. And if you'll notice in this passage, I know that there's a, yeah, stay there for a second. One of the larger contexts of Ephesians chapter uh, 1 through 3 is that Paul intentionally structures chapters 1 through 3 in order to get us to this central identity, which is, which is chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I won't read the whole thing, but let's zero in to that center verse there. Together we are. We are his house. Together we are his house. And, the, and we are carefully joined together in him. And what Paul is making sure to get across in this, in this, this big theological treatise in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is, listen, we are a new people. We are a people that are joined together. We are a people that have been given a new nature. And what you'll notice, too, in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through chapter 5, verse 2, is that he will have these identity-type statements that he's giving to the body of believers. Listen, you are a people that were created to be like God. You are holy. You are righteous. You are redeemed. You are loved. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's who we are. We are a new people that are redeemed and restored. And so now what he teaches them is to say, listen, this, was, this is the way that we used to live. Right? The, don't, don't live like the Gentiles used to, to live because you didn't learn Jesus that way. So what he's telling them is, listen, don't, don't, don't act like that anymore. But before, if you notice what he'll do here, Paul so often, especially in, Ephes- in this book of Ephesians, he will so often make sure to see that the Trinity is at work in our lives. You were made to imitate God. You were redeemed by the Son. And, and listen now, the Spirit is renewing your thoughts and your attitudes. And what Paul is doing here in teaching the Ephesians their new group identity is he's teaching them this. Listen, now because you're a new people, now because you've been redeemed, now because you're a holy, now because God has set you apart, you're gonna, what you're going to now do is, is take off your old way of living but be, before you put on a new way of living, what you need to, to, to learn and discover is that the wonderful counselor is going to be confirming in your heart that Jesus' way can be trusted. You used to live a certain way. You used to have these old habits. You used to have these, this old way of doing things. And the reason that you live that way is because, because the world made, made sense to live that way. It made sense to lie. It made sense to, to look out for yourself above everybody else. Because that's the way that the world is living, right? The world is, has, lived, has lived in this pattern, 
And now what the Holy Spirit's going to come and do amongst us is he's going to teach your heart. There's a better way to live. There's a more beneficial way to live. There is a way that is good and right and will lead to thriving. And as the Holy Spirit teaches you to have new thoughts and new attitudes, that work that the Holy Spirit is constantly doing in your life, as you learn to say yes and amen to what the Holy Spirit is teaching you to do, then now as an act of faith, in every space of your life, you're going to actually trust that the way of Jesus works. You're going to actually trust that how, how Jesus lives is the way to life and life to the full. And the reality is, is that there's constantly right going to be this, this warring at play within us where we're going to want to return back to our learned way of doing things and the way that everyone else is living, when the Holy Spirit is constantly going to be teaching us, no, don't live that way anymore. That way didn't work out for you the way that you had hoped it would work out for you. There's a new way to live. And this way is good. And so now what Paul tells us here is like, let the Spirit give you new thoughts and new attitudes and as that work is happening, you're going to wear different types of clothes. You're, you're going to wear something different now. And so then the comparison that Paul starts making here is this. Is listen, you are going to live in truth and not lies. You're going to trust that the way of Jesus works in that regard. You're going to live with peace and not anger you're going to trust that the way of Jesus works in that regard. You're going to live with generosity and not theft. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to live and, and have helpful language, not abusive language. You, we are a people that are going to live with trust in God and not rebellion, living art from our own understanding. Who we are is we're going to be a people that have kindness and tenderness and forgiveness played out amongst us. And we are not going to be a people that live with bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. We are a new people. And we are going to trust that the way of Jesus works. We're going to trust that his way is better. And that's going to play out in very practical ways. So let's talk about that first one. We're going to live with truth and not lies. We're going to live with truth and not lies. And what you'll see in this passage is that, that Paul intentionally ties truth to, to relationship. In verse 25, it says this. It says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And what Paul is highlighting here for us is that by our nature is the fact that we, we, we lie because we think it'll be beneficial. 
Right? I'm, I'm seeing that, being a, a dad of young boys, is that they will often come and, and tell me a lie because they're afraid to present their real selves to me. They're afraid that if they really share with me what they've done, then it might mean rejection. And so there will be times where I walk into the kitchen and there is chocolate on their lips. And I will say, did you just eat your Halloween candy? No? Come on. Come on. Did you just eat your Halloween candy? Why do we lie? We're afraid if we're found out, it'll mean isolation. And so what we often do is we present a mask to the people around us. We present a false self to the people around us. We we lie And again, do you see that Paul is tying it to relationships? We lie because we think that that is the path to acceptance. And Paul is, is again, tying it relationally. You don't have to lie to this community. You belong to each other. There's this book that I checked out from the library um, and... I read about, I'm not going to lie, 13% of it, somewhere in that range, because that's what you know, my Audible account told me, how far I got into it. And then, because I didn't get to it fast enough, uh, the library took it back. So I don't know if the book is good, but I came across this quote that was really, really good. So I'm not recommending this book to you. Maybe in three years from now, I can tell you if it's good or not. But Hernan Diaz, in his book, Trust, had this quote that just shouted out to me. He said this, most of us prefer to believe that we are the active subjects of our victories, but only the passive objects of our defeats. We triumph, but it is not really we who fail. We are ruined by forces beyond our control. I see this all the time on Monday night when I play basketball with a group of guys. When things are going well, it is because I am so talented. (laughs) And when things are going bad, it's the weather. It was my dinner. It was the crooked rim. It was the wind, right? Like, it was all of these other reasons And one of the things that our brains are so good at doing is self-justification. Right? We are so good at saying when things are going well, it's like, yes, look at what I've done. But when things are going poorly, a lot of times we'll we'll try to find all of, and our brains are so good at this, is finding all of these reasons why we've failed. And the reality is, is our successes and our failures are a combination of things that we will never really get to the bottom of. 
But listen, what, what I, reason I, I wanted to bring this quote before you is, is this. What Paul is telling the community of believers is this. Your worth is not based on your triumphs or your failures. Your value is not based on if you have succeeded or not. You don't have to tell lies to this community. And here is the radical gospel invitation given to all of us. You are welcome here. You're welcome here. Successes or failures. You're welcome here. And, and, and what the community of God is meant to believe and trust about the way of Jesus is this. You can be vulnerable here. You can be honest here. You can share your weaknesses here. Because what we know is we belong to each other. We're knitted together. And that doesn't change. So if you failed this week, we're still family. If you've triumphed this week, we're still brothers and sisters. And, 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 and amongst a world that just wants to shower praise upon people who succeed, the people of God are saying, we're going to be a community of people that celebrate others. Because they're family. You belong here. You're loved here. So stop telling lies. <laughs> Live in the truth. Live in the truth. Peace, not anger. What, what I find so intriguing about this, this part of, of, of the paragraph is that later on, Paul will say, so get rid of all anger and, and rage. And it's like, Paul, what are you doing here? At one point, you're saying, hey, when you, when you get angry, uh, make sure you don't sin. But later on, he's saying, get rid of all anger. And I think what Paul is, is making sure that the church recognizes is, listen, now, anger is a, a normal human emotion. It happens. We get angry. But, but, but what, you, what you see he does here is to say is, listen, don't, when, when you get angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What he's saying is, is, is listen, when you get angry, keep that anger in the light. And don't, don't let that anger linger and fester. Don't let that anger have opportunity to get into your character. But what you do is when that anger happens, you bring it before the Lord. You put it in the light. There's this powerful reflection that I came across from Dr. Uh, Dr. King. And he's, he's reflecting on 
right, everything that the black community is going through, and rightfully so, there is a lot of anger in the black community for the oppression and the discrimination and the injustice that they're walking through. And he said this, they, speaking of the black community, will be mentally healthy, healthier, if they do not suppress rage, but vent it constructively and use its energy peacefully, but forcefully to cripple the operations of an oppressive society. To use rage, anger, constructively and peacefully. Friends, that quote is worth turning to a friend and saying, we need to go to lunch together and just try to unpack that paradigm together. We need to wrestle with that. We need to sit with that, and we need to try to figure out, just, 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 just like, this is, that's, a, that's a sentence worth just, just chewing on and sitting with. But what I think Dr. King is pointing to is this, is that there are going to be things that rightfully provoke our sense of value. There's going to be things that rightly provoke our understanding of justice and injustice at play in the world around us. There are going to be things that, that, that we come across that are going to cause this, this like guttural response within us that says, that is not good. That is not right. For those of you that know the word, that is not shalom. That is not peace. And I think that that kind of response, in a lot of ways, is God-given. Right When Jesus comes into the temple and he sees that people are being taken advantage of, he goes into the temple and he starts throwing over tables. Right There's this, There is this anger that rises up within him, but do you see the work that, that, that our Jesus is up to in that moment? Because right after he does that, one of the gospel writers highlights and identifies for us is that once that, that temple area was cleared, the blind and the lame made their way into the temple. There was this, there was this response from Jesus that saw a scenario that was at play And his response was to say, this is not what my father is about. This is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And so what he does is that he constructively, and I think these are two great words to evaluate our anger. Is it constructive and is it peaceful? And if there are things that happen in the world around us that provoke something within us, that we are to stop and we are to, to ask these questions, is my response going to be constructive? And is it going to be, bring peace? And so what Paul's doing here is teaching the church, listen, when, when anger happens, don't just, don't just suppress it. Don't just shove it down into the dark, but bring it into the light. 
And there are going to be spaces, there are going to be places that you encounter and come along, come across that provoke something within you. And I think that it's our right response to ask and to pray in that moment, God, would your kingdom come here? Would, that, would your kingdom come here? Let's go to the next one. Generosity, not theft. I, I laugh at this one because, listen, the way that the book of Ephesians plays out is, is the book of Ephesians, it's, it's a letter written to real people. Right? It, is, it is a letter written to a real community that is gathered together. And likely the way that what's playing out here is that, that Paul sends this letter and then there's someone that stands in front of, of the people of God and they unroll Paul's letter and they begin to read it out loud to the community. And the reason I find this so funny is because it's the social awkwardness that's at play here in this moment because what's likely happening in this, this community of, of the church in Ephesus is that there's probably someone in the room that's been stealing from others. And so here's, here's this letter being written, and Paul just so matter-of-factly just says, hey, thief, stop stealing. Right there and there. So in the room, it's likely that everyone at that point, as that, as that sentence is being read, all the heads turn at Dominic and say... Are you listening? <laughs> the church at this time is a social gathering like has never existed in the world at this point in human history. The church was actually a place where Jews and Gentiles were sitting together, where slave and master were sitting in the same room, where rich and poor were sitting right next to each other at the dinner table. It was a new community of people like the world has never seen before. And you can imagine what's at play in the minds of the people that were in the room. Why were they stealing from one another? It's because they wanted to survive. And their new brothers and sisters in the Lord had bread, they had clothing. And so the act of, of, of thievery was this act to, to, to say, like, I, I need to make it through my day, and you have, and I don't. And so what Paul is now teaching the community of believers is, is this. Listen, you can trust that God will provide for you. And, and if you show up into this space, and you're amongst those that are the disadvantaged, if you're in the space and you are one of the hungry ones in here, God sees you. In this community, you can afford to be generous because God will provide.
God will care for you. But it was also a message. Paul is constantly messing with social norms, by the way. It was also a message to the rich. Don't take advantage of others. Don't use your power and authority for your own gain. In this community, you do not have to stockpile power. In this community, it's not about having storehouses. Be generous here. Because your worth is not equated with your, your bank statement. Your value is not based on how much is in your retirement fund. Be generous here. Give. Love. Lavish gifts upon others. Because in this community, our provision and our worth comes from Jesus. So let's be generous. Helpful language, not abusive language. Remember, let's keep this framework in, in mind. We're learning to take off the old way, and we're learning to trust that the way of Jesus will, will actually work. I think in this framework, what we're recognizing is, is this, is listen, I don't need, I don't need to tell crash jokes and I don't need to tell elaborate stories so that others think more highly of me. I don't, I don't need abusive language that tears others down in order to feel better about myself. But in this community, I can, I can celebrate others. In this community, when someone else is telling a story about something that they've done or, or an experience that they've had, in this community, what I can do is, is respond, say more. Tell me more. And what I don't have to do in this community is try to one-up them with my story and my experience. Uh, we're... we're now in the world of being soccer parents. <laughs> our seven-year-old is in a, in a soccer club, and one of the things that our coach challenged the parents with at the start of the year was this. He said this, when a kid on the other team does something worth celebrating, celebrate them. Absolutely counterintuitive and, 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 and against the grain of kids' sports. And we actually, as a group of parents, took them up on it. And can I tell you the awkwardness that happens on the sideline as because we're sitting right next to each other. Here's all of our team parents and here's all the opposing team parents. We're sitting right next to each other and the opposing team parents, they, they watch as one of their kids does something good and our side of the sideline begins to actually cheer. There's this like look of surprise upon the parents' faces that look over at us and is like, who are you? 
But we've arrived at soccer fields and we have overheard parents say something like this. Ooh, I don't like that team. I hope we crush them today. But what I'm learning as a parent, as I begin to cheer for the kid on the opposing team, is suddenly my mind learns that seven-year-old is not my enemy. <laughs> Friends, celebrate others. Like lavish praise on other people. Encourage others. Build others up. Be generous with your words. Because again, in this community, you don't have to tell a great story in order to be accepted here. We're already united together. We already belong to one another. You are already loved here. So you don't have to make much of yourself. And it just makes space for us to just simply turn to one another and just want to know more about others, to listen more, to discover more about others. I'm going to wrap us up. The other um, space, and I'll just go for really hopefully just a minute and a half here, is trust, not rebellion. Um, when, how do we get to there when Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, is that he's actually reading from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 63. And it says this. It says in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, I think it'll come up on the screen. It says, in all their suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. In his love and his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all, of their, through all the years. But they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and he fought against them. That right there is, he's, he gave them over to their personal actions. He let them know, like, you keep on making this choice of rebelling against me and I'm just going to let the natural consequences of that play out. And they end up in exile. And as they're in exile, then, then this happens. Then they remembered those days of old when Moses led his people out of Egypt. They cried, where's the one who brought Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? Where's the one who sent his Holy Spirit to be his, amongst his people? And what Paul is saying here by saying, listen, don't, don't be a people that grieve the Holy Spirit, but remember that you're redeemed all the way to the day of salvation, he's, he's teaching them, listen, you don't have to live life from your own understanding anymore. You don't have to constantly just try to, to just figure life out on your own, but actually just learn to trust me that I'm going to lead you into a good land. And then wrapping it up, Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, 
a pleasing aroma to God. And what Paul not so subtly does here to wrap up this thought about the fact that, listen, don't, don't wear those old clothes anymore. Don't trust those old clothes anymore, but trust the way of Jesus and that it'll actually work. What well, we not so subtly reminds us in, in this, this closing thought here on this section is this. Sometimes when you follow the way of Jesus, it'll mean death. Sometimes when you imitate God, it'll mean sacrifice. There are going to be times that you live this life out and you are going to question, does the way of Jesus actually work? Because it doesn't feel like it. Because what it feels like is suffering because what it feels like is the pit. Imitate God, though, in everything you do. And what you see lived out in the example of Jesus, he stood before us and, and, and he taught us a new way to live, but he also died. But through his death, he brought life. And there's this upside down way to the kingdom of God. To where there are going to be times where it just feels like suffering. But don't give up. Because God is bringing life. But don't give up. Because look at the example of Jesus. Do you see what his suffering and his sacrifice has brought? You can trust that the way of Jesus actually works. It might not play out exactly how, as you hope, as you present your vulnerable and honest self to one another, as you live generously and not just looking out for yourself. As, as, as you celebrate others as opposed to shining a spotlight on yourself, there are going to be times where it just, it just, it's going to feel like things are going wrong. But look at Jesus. His sacrifice. That's what's made you alive. Let me pray for us. Fathers, as we gather here together, I, I just ask that, that what, the work that your spirit might continue to do is rewire our brains, <laughs> is, is, is to constantly be teaching our thoughts that the way of Jesus is, is the way to live. Father, we confess there have been times that we've trusted in horses and chariots. We confess that, that there have been times that we have tried to live life from under our own power and our own understanding. 
And we confess those areas before you because we say, God, we did not end up where, where we had hoped to end up as we lived life from our own understanding. And we just ask, would you continue to teach us what it is to follow you and your ways? Would you, would, you, would you reshape, would you transform, would you do a deep work within our lives so that we might be able to be a people that imitate you in every space of our life? And Lord, our hope and our prayer is that as we do that, that you would bring life to the world around us. May we be servants. May we be the, greater, the greatest lovers this world has ever known. May we be a people that are all about others. May we see your kingdom arrive upon this earth. And we say, Lord, we would love, we would love to partner with you in that work. So we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.